Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, I had the true delight of getting to talk to Barbara L. Peacock. Dr. Peacock is a demon graduate of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. She's a spiritual director, author, teacher, and preacher. She's also the founder of Barbara L. Peacock Ministries, a ministry that is committed to developing disciples through prayer, spiritual direction, soul care, mentoring, and teaching. In today's conversation, we talk about Dr. Peacock's call into ministry, her own struggle with depression, and how she overcame that and the freedom that she has found on the other side of that suffering. We talk about her new book, Soul Care in the African American Practice, that received the 2021 Christianity Today Award of Merit in the Spiritual Formation category. In this book, Dr. Peacock reflects on the disciplines of prayer, spiritual direction, and soul care, and how these are woven into the African-American culture and lived out in the rich heritage of its faith and community. She uses the examples of 10 significant men and women in the African-American community to offer us the opportunity to engage in practices of soul care as we learn from these spiritual leaders. So you can find a link to her book and the workbook that goes along with it in our show notes today. You can purchase the book through InterVarsity Press, Amazon, or your local bookstore. So if you haven't already done so, make sure you grab a copy of that. So without further ado, let's listen to my conversation with Dr. Peacock. Dr. Peacock, it is such a delight to have you today. I am just so grateful that we get to have this conversation about soul care and self-care mm-hmm. and spiritual direction and all of those things. I'm so looking forward to this. So thank you for being part of the conversation today. Yes, Heidi, it's so good to be with you as well. And I look forward to our time of sharing and prayerfully, it will be a blessing. Yes, yes, that was my prayer as well before we even started talking to each other, that it would be a blessing to each other as we talk to each other, but then also mm-hmm. a blessing to those who are listening as well. So, Absolutely, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, so I know that you lead and founded Barbara L. Peacock Ministries. Mm-hmm. How did you? How did all of that get started? Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> prior to starting Barbara L. Peacock Ministries, I worked for a mega church, and the name of that church is the Park Church under the leadership of Bishop Clark Richard Alexander Jr. And while working there, I was responsible for discipleship and prayer and really didn't have any intentions of um, leaving. <laughs> And after 14 years, one morning I woke up and I sensed God nudging me to uh, make a transition from full time ministry at a mega church and just to take like some rest. And I didn't fully understand it. But of course, we know that God is all omniscient. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't know at the time, but of course, what God knew was that I was suffering with. Uh, a heart disease that I had been born with. So I, um, I resigned from the park church. I shouldn't say I resigned. I came out. I uh, transitioned from being on staff. Uh, Mm -hmm. The end of uh, 
July um, and uh, just took some rest and began to exercise frequently. And one in one class, I just couldn't do it. It was like my heart was falling out of my chest when I was doing this little exercise when you're on your stomach and you're waving your hands and they call it <laughs> Superman. Well, I'll call it Superwoman. I was on the super, super, the Superwoman version of Superman. Uh-huh. And uh, I wasn't Wonder Woman. I was uh, just trying to do the exercise, but I felt like my heart was coming out of my chest. And so I said, well, let me, I'll pull away from that. And then I went uh, to the beauty salon to get my hair done. And I was sitting underneath the dryer and I felt the same pressure and it was very tight. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is not normal. So I drove myself to the doctor and the doctor immediately recognized that it was a heart problem. Then the doctor sent me to the cardiologist the next day. And then the cardiologist sent me to uh, the hospital for some further x-raying. And then the next thing I know, I was talking to a surgeon. Oh, my. And so that was in 2014, October 2014. And uh, my surgery, I'm sorry, that was October 2013. And my surgery was for January 2014. Really, they wanted to do surgery in 2013, but we were uh, approaching the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas was right around the corner. And I just asked for an extension. And they said, as long as I took it easy. And while I was taking it easy, uh, I felt it necessary to call together my, some of my mentees and share with them what had happened in my transition from the church and how my health was coming along. And at that gathering, uh, in December 2013, uh, afterwards, a few of us were left in the kitchen cleaning up. And then I just sensed the call to a ministry. And I was like, oh, my God. And so I looked around in the kitchen and there were like five or six young ladies. And I just sensed God saying, this is your ministry. And I wasn't looking for a ministry. I wasn't thinking about a ministry. I didn't have a right. name for a ministry. And so... Uh, of course, like I said, in the beginning of 2014, I uh, had surgery. And after that, I started talking to some people about having a ministry. And I really wasn't interested in using my name whatsoever mm-hmm. because, um, you know, using your name can be good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I was sharing my journey with the this little marketing group and telling them how my mother's maiden name, which I talk about in the book, Soul Care and African-American Practice, my mother's maiden name, not her married name, but my mother's maiden name was Peacock and I married a Peacock. So oh, it was interesting. Imp- very inter- interesting. So it was important that uh, I knew that I wasn't marrying my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and we still talk about kissing cousins every now and then. Uh, but beyond that, my husband had been in corporate um, the majority of his career. We had traveled around the country and I had met a lot of friends, uh, been involved in a lot of different ministries. And so after sharing my journey a little bit with this marketing group, they recommended that I call the ministry Barbara L. Peacock Ministry. So that's mm. how we got started. And that's yeah. how the name came into existence. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. 
one of the things you said as you were talking about kind of your your calling or your knowing that this was your next right step. You talked about sensing that mm-hmm. this that God was saying this to you. What does that mean to you and how, how do you how do you know that? Yes, um sometimes I am very cautious in how I use that language, but I don't, sometimes I don't have any other way to communicate it because these ideas are not my ideas. And these things are not things that I'm thinking about. And, uh, the Bible tells us, uh, the words of Jesus, they say, my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. And we know his voice through the reading of the word. We know his voice through the teaching and preaching of the word. There's there's an inner spirit. There's an inner being, uh, the presence of God abiding and living and moving and breathing and speaking on the inside of us. So we have to be sensitive to the move and the flow of the spirit within us. And so that's how I sense. I am hearing the voice of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You've mentioned that you grew up on a farm and you worked outdoors and helped take care of animals. How did this experience shape your experience of faith and knowing God and understanding Him and His love? Everything. Everything about <laughs> it. I, uh, I'm a big proponent of writing one spiritual autobiographies, and that's a spiritual discipline that has been over, around for centuries and when you write one spiritual autobiography, a biography, you come to understand your journey and you can you're better equipped to connect the dots. And mm-hmm. so on the farm, it was all nature. It was cows and pigs and horses and dogs and cats and turtles. <laughs> and we had a billy goat. And I remember going to my mother's sister's house and she had a turkey. Oh, wow. And I felt that was so unfair. Because we didn't, have, we didn't have a turkey. I'm like, how, how could we not have a turkey? And so, I mean, we had everything else. I guess I should have looked at, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. Yes, yes. I probably should have looked at the fact that we had a turtle and a billy goat, which my aunt didn't have. But, uh, you know, it was just regular life for us. Uh, tending the farm. And when you're growing up, you didn't think about I'm enjoying or not enjoying this. It's just what you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, I remember, you know, looking at the sky on many a nights, listening to the crickets, listening to the birds, uh, late waking up and listening to the mooing of the cow and <laughs> the, the oinking of the pig and the barking of the dog and the meowing of the cat. And you just didn't think about it. Yeah. And, and one of my favorite things was uh, working in the garden with my mother. And I can remember as a little girl, just her picking uh uh, peas, sweet peas. And uh, she would pick and I would sit on the bucket and she would hand me the peas and I would put them in the bucket or shake them or whatever she told me to do. But I love to eat raw sweet peas. <laughs> I love And I love vegetables. So even to this day, it's just part of who I am. But I had no idea the power of the formation. And I will say spiritual formation as well, coming from a, a spiritually oriented family and a genealogy of Christians, I didn't know how much that was forming me. And so Mm -hmm. you grow up and you uh, go to school and you go to college and you get married and you, we had a, we have a a daughter who's grown now, probably older than you, Heidi, and (laughs) we were grandparents. 
And so, and then all of a sudden, you know, God starts showing you this spiritual side of you Mm -hmm. and, uh, and how it was all formed. And so I believe that I've always been a contemplative, even as a child. And that's what formed me on this journey of soul care and spiritual direction. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things you mentioned in your book that I found interesting because it's something that I sometimes don't think about, but when I do think about, I sort of struggle to understand, and I think all humans do because we can't understand the breadth and depth of God's love. But one thing I'm really curious about is how we can embrace a theology that embodies God's love for us. Yes, I love that question. Uh, Heidi, I believe that we all have some uh, dominant thought process as it relates to our theology. And we look at numerous uh, doctrines of faith, uh, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of, uh, of love, the doctrine of faith. And as we listen to ministers and pastors and teachers and preachers and those that serve in the ministry, if we listen to them uh, consistently, we will be able to recognize the dominance of their theology. And one of the dominant factors of my theology is the doctrine of love. Mm -hmm. And I believe that should be the dominant factor, the dominant doctrine that we address in the body of Christ, because that is the first commandment uh, mm. to love God with mm-hmm. all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And First uh, uh, John tells us that God is love. And so because God is love, if we want love, we have to go to the source of love. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then God tells us to love him and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and that he first loved us. And so knowing that God first loved us and that he is the source of love, if we want authentic, transparent, empowering, engaging, applicable, relevant love, we go to the source. So I go to God for love. I receive and I encourage you to receive and the listeners to receive the love of God to to open yourselves up to allow this this immeasurable, this uh, uh, saturating, this uh, emerging a kind of love to soak in God's love. And his love is unconditional. His love says, come as you are. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to change anything. And, and all of us have done terrible things and we, (laughs) we smoke and we drink and we curse and we sleep around and we, and we lie and we cheat and we, we have idols. We do all kinds of things, but God says, Mm -hmm. I still love you and there's nothing you can do about it. So whether we acknowledge that God loves us, whether we acknowledge that uh, we love him, he still loves us. And out of the love that we receive from God, David says in the 23rd Psalm that my cup runneth over. So how powerful is that to have a cup of love running over in you? And it's out of the abundance of love that we receive from God because God is love. Mm 
It's like if I want coffee, I have to go get a cup of coffee. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> right. to get a cup of hot chocolate, even though I love hot chocolate. So coffee is coffee. And if I want an abundance of coffee and if I wanted to have enough to share with others, I have to make enough in the pot to give to somebody else. <laughs> and so yeah. and so this this love of God is just so powerful. And um, and that going back to the country in this country church that I grew up in. When I was 14 years old, I could not wait for the altar call. Uh, and that's back in the day. That's how you gave your life to the Lord at revival. Yes, yes at I fall, remember. Yes. Before <laughs> revival, you go down to the mourner's bench and you say you surrender. And then I was down there. These mothers of the church were hovering around me and they kept saying, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And, and it was just pounding in my mind and pounding in my heart. And I, they just repeated it over and over. Just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Come as you are. And, and that's still what I share. Jesus loves you. Ask him to come into your heart. And when they told me that Jesus loved me, I believed them. I believed them. Wow. And that belief makes all the difference in mm-hmm. how, how you view the world and yourself and others. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about um, embracing that theology, I want to talk about self-care and soul care. Mm-hmm. Um, probably before we jump into that, it'd be helpful to have a little description because I think you distinguish between self-care and soul care. Um, so if you could give us that definition and then walk us through a little bit how we can set ourselves up to embrace those things, because I think it's really about embracing God's love for us. In those two things. Amen. Amen. Both of those words, uh, self-care and soul care, are packed. And <laughs> yes. I mean, we could we could talk for a couple of years on self-care <laughs> and soul care, but I'm going to try to share it in its simplest form from the way I see it. So when I uh, began writing the book, um, soul care and African-American practice, it was initially entitled prayer, spiritual direction, and soul care from an African-American perspective. And Mm -hmm. so we know that there is no self, there is no soul care or spiritual direction without prayer. Prayer is that undergirding factor of ministry period. Anything we are doing for, we desire to do for Christ must be founded and rooted in prayer. In the book, I use soul care and spiritual direction synonymously. Uh, And meaning that soul care and spiritual direction are disciplines. I call them loving disciplines of listening. Mm. Soul care and spiritual direction are disciplines that are designed to help people better discern the activity and voice of God in their life. Mm-hmm. So that applies to both words, soul care and spiritual direction. But for the simplicity of the title of the book, we just say soul care, understanding it means spiritual direction as well, and understanding that it's necessary to be rooted and grounded in prayer. And mm-hmm. um But so many people use the language of soul care to mean Mm, mm self-care as well as 
a plethora of numerous other definitions. Yeah. But for our but for our conversation, um, I would like to say that self-care is mainly taking care of myself. I like to exercise. I enjoy um, nice smelling candles. I enjoy walking. I'm taking care of myself. I'm taking care of my body. Uh-huh. But I can also take care of my soul if I am mindful that my soul needs to be taken care of. But uh, but we can have self-care, taking care of ourselves without incorporating soul care. But we oh, cannot yeah. have soul care without incorporating self-care. I can't take care of my soul because my soul is all of me, including myself. It's my living being. The scripture says God breathed into Adam the breath of life and Adam or Adam became a living soul, total being. And so that's why I was sharing with you earlier. I was so excited when I was reading uh, Psalm 142 and 143 this morning. And, and David um, was talking about his soul. And in Psalm 142, he talks about the challenges he was having. He says, no one cares for my soul and bring my soul out of prison. That's in 142. But in 143, he says, uh, my soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also in 143, he says, for I lift up my soul to you for your righteousness shall bring my soul out of trouble. And so the soul has all of myself, all of my thoughts, all of my feelings, all of my emotions, all of my life. So I can take care of myself and be a wreck, but I can't <laughs> take care of my soul. And not take care of myself as well. Yeah, I that definition is beautiful. I never really thought about it that way. Is the soul being the all-encompassing thing that takes that? If you take care of that, you are a complete, whole person in in God. That's that's a beautiful picture. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And so often yeah. in the faith community, we say that the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotion. Mm-hmm. And true, but the soul is all of you. There's no part of you that's not the soul. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think this is maybe changing gears a little bit, but I want to talk about this before we move forward a little bit. And I know it's all connected, but in your book, you talk about, um, you mentioned a time that you kind of plummeted into your own darkness. Would you tell us that story and what led you there and then how how you got out? I'm sure it involves soul care as part of that. Yeah, I love it how you got out. <laughs> How did I get out of the darkness? <laughs> right, because it really, um, it really, I have been in some dark times yes. and it really, sometimes you just wonder, am I going to get out? The sun is shining outside, but it feels like it's raining inside all the time, you know? Yes, yes, Heidi. I think about uh, a song, I, I think it's uh, uh, an old 
uh, Negro spiritual. It says, but it may not be uh, how I got over, how I got over. My soul looks back and wonder mm-hmm. how I got over, you know, how I got over. Um, but my soul looks back and wonder, and I know how I got over. I got mm-hmm. over um, from the dark place by the grace of God. Uh, I was serving in full-time ministry, uh, uh, working morning, noon, and night, driving 45 minutes one way to work, being at prayer at 6 a.m. in the morning, sometimes staying late at night till until uh, 9 or 10 o'clock, getting home at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and just working in ministry, doing ministry, preaching, mm-hmm. teaching, praying, counseling, mentoring, Whatever you can do. Uh, right, right. And and I was just going. I was on automatic pilot. And one morning out of nowhere, mm-hmm. at least it was nowhere to, to me, I woke up and I couldn't move. And I was like oh, a wow. basket. I was like a basket case. And I was in a fetal position. I did not see it coming, Heidi. And Mm. um, I remember watching my husband leave for work. And I was supposed to go to work that day, but I didn't. I called in and then the day went by and I would get up when I had to and get back in the bed. I didn't eat anything. And then my husband came home and he looked at me. And he says, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. And so um, he came to bed and the next day he got up, he went to work. I was still in the fetal position. He came back and I was the same way. What's wrong with you? I don't know. And uh, that would be so scary. It was so scary. And I said to myself, what is wrong with you? And I was weeping and uh, I just wasn't my norm. And I called my girlfriend and uh, we went to undergraduate school together. And I said, something's wrong with me. And I said, maybe I need to go to the doctor. And I said, Well, I can't drive very far. I wasn't capable of driving far. Mm -hmm. I wasn't Mm -hmm. stable. And so I drove myself to a local doctor. And that was not a helpful appointment. And I knew it wasn't. And -hmm. so then I called another girlfriend and I said, I need help. And I need it now. And so she put me in touch with a holistic doctor. And then the holistic doctor put me in touch with a medical doctor. And the medical doctor put me in touch with a counselor. So Mm. at the same time, I had a holistic doctor, a medical doctor, and a counselor. And I remember going to the counselor and walking into her office, and I saw a couch, a table with a couple of chairs, and a rocking chair facing the couch. And I looked at the rocking chair when I walked in, and I looked at the couch, and I looked at the table. And I said, I think I'm supposed to be on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I think I'm supposed to be on the couch. Now, mind you, I was always in the chair and everybody else was on the couch, but now I'm on the couch. Mm-hmm. A long story yeah. short from that, we discovered that I was dealing with depression, mm-hmm. uh, that I was uh, burnt out and that I was going through perimenopause. So mm. I was, and I, you know, we all, all the doctors and we all put that together. And mm-hmm. so that's what I had to work through. And it was truly what St. John of the Cross entitles a dark night of the soul. Mm, and, even, and even though it was very difficult, I wouldn't take nothing for it. Yeah. Because in order to understand the plight of others and the depth of darkness that others feel, you know, even Jesus suffered. In the book, I talk about the suffering. Uh, I talk about Howard Thurman and suffering. So I want to uh, want to go to the book. Oh, yes, please do. I want to go to the book and um, I want to look at a quote here by Howard Thurman on page 136. Page 136. And the book, the um, the book, of course, we know is Soul Care and African-American Practice. Mm-hmm. But this chapter uh, by Dr. Howard Thurman is entitled Prayer and Suffering. Mm. And we know that Dr. Thurman was an African-American mystic. But on page 136, I quote Dr. Thurman. Um, actually, I want to back up a little bit and read something I wrote. Okay, sure. Uh, the middle of page 136, I say, in addition to the topic of prayer, Dr. Thurman also spoke of the plight of suffering. As an African-American man who lived through the civil rights movement, he was vividly aware of the oppression and persecution that resulted from blatant racism and the injustices it perpetrated. Mm. As he pondered the idea of a world without suffering, he wrote, what will life be like? And I quote, and I start over again. What will life be like if there were no suffering, no pain? The startling discovery is made that if there was no suffering, there would be no freedom. Mm. Men can make no mistakes. And I add women <laughs> consciously or unconsciously. The race could make no mistakes. There will be no error. There will be no possibility of choice at any point or in any sense whatsoever. Mm. And he continues, and I quote the last part of his statement, which I love. Freedom, therefore cannot be separated from suffering. Wow. This then may be one of the ways in which suffering pays for its ride. And so I start off singing how I got over. My soul looks back and wonder how I got over. Mm -hmm. And that getting over is the freedom. My soul looks back and wonder how I became free 
of the depression and the oppression and the darkness. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the grace and love of God and healing. And so I encourage people that no matter, uh, I, I believe in counseling. Mm-hmm. I believe that everyone should have a spiritual director. I believe in holistic healing and taking care of yourself. I believe in self-care. So too often we are burnt out or on our way to being burnt out like I was, mm-hmm. but we don't know we are. And then sometimes we just know instantly. And and Heidi, I did not know the symptoms of perimenopause that stays before menopause in women. Mm-hmm. And everybody doesn't go through it, but my hormones were so off the chart uh-huh. and I had to get balance. And so Thurman writes here, Freedom, therefore, cannot be separated from the suffering. Now, we have all kinds of suffering. Uh-huh. And in this case, uh, Dr. Thurman was referencing uh, oppression at, and, and the civil rights movement uh-huh. and the persecution. But any kind of suffering is not forever. That's why the psalmist says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Mm-hmm. Suffering, and I will say suffering may endure for a night, but freedom comes in the morning. Trouble mm-hmm. don't last always. And I know that's a Negro song. I'm so <laughs> glad trouble don't last <laughs> always. And so freedom cannot be separated from suffering. Wow. I had never thought about it that way before that. And kind of, as you put it, um, much more beautifully than I did, kind of earns its ticket in the into the world because mm-hmm. it allows you to have freedom. Um, and just like Christ, Christ yeah. suffered so yeah. that we could have freedom. Yes. The model, if the model can't make some type of connection, or if there's not a metaphor or parallelism to the to, to the canon to the Bible, then we're off. But if we can see and connect. Our journey with Jesus is, we know we're on track. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And as we think about the the leaders or lay people that we may be talking to who, or people, I don't know, I think of some people are just like me, like they have a job and they go home and they have families and this and that. How can we, um, as we're doing things, how can we make sure that we are incorporating soul care and well, I was going to say self care, but if we do self care, we've we've done all of that. <laughs> how, 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 you got how, it. You got yeah. it. Yeah. What, what are some things that we can that we can be think about thinking about? I think as you put it in your book, um, being purposeful but not busy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, in the book I used the acronym busy b u s y, and it's an acronym that I had heard before. Busy means being under Satan's yoke, and oh. so Satan desires to steal our time to uh, pull us away from the most important relationship with um, the one that can heal us and deliver us and free us. And so, in order to uh, I like to call it bring some um, balance out of the chaos. And we know we're always fighting and struggling to have this balance. But mm-hmm. uh, the most important thing that we must do every day is to incorporate time with God. And uh, we talk about tithing our time, our talent and our treasure. Treasure. Mm-hmm. So and the model of Jesus was all about seeking God, er- seeking God early. 
And the Bible says that God loves those that love him and those that seek God early shall find him. And and uh, Jesus models seeking God early. He models taking time to go up to the mountains or he'll, he'll go before the disciples and be on the other side of the ocean by himself. Or um, And so we have hectic schedules mm-hmm. uh, and we have purposeful schedules. But in the midst of the activities and and being inundated with deadlines and responsibilities is important and necessary to allow your spiritual time to take precedence over anything else. Like I've, every day I, tr- I try to wake up and when I wake up, no matter what's going on, no matter what's pressing, to take that time in prayer, to take that time and read scripture. And I know you may running out, be running out the door with your cup of coffee or you may <laughs> uh, have to do um, pick up other kids or you may have to make it be on a Zoom call or be in the office at a certain time. Uh-huh. But be intentional about carving out that time. So you have to do whatever it takes to carve out that time uh-huh. until that time becomes just automatic, just like a breath of air. Yeah. And as we uh, work through this journey of spirituality, start incorporating other disciplines that will empower you for a life of slowing, a life of simplicity. And in the book, I talk about numerous disciplines like detaching and attaching. I talk about the discipline of Visio Divina, and uh, which is, is a sacred visual, and Lectio Divina, which is uh, a sacred reading, and the importance of meditating on the word and the similarities between meditation and contemplation and the, the, the distinctiveness between meditation and contemplation. Mm-hmm. And so your soul, like the psalmist says here, my soul longs for you like a thirsty land. And we mm-hmm. get to this place. And and Heidi, my situation with the depression was I was doing ministry, but I wasn't being filled up the, na- the way I needed to be filled up ongoing. And I was overextending myself. So you mm-hmm. so to have boundaries for your day, to have boundaries for your week, to make sure that you take rest every day and that you take rest Uh, a day of rest every week and that you take a month of rest when possible, because Jesus says, um, he says, I came, I didn't come to uh, abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And the law says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy Mm -hmm. on, on six days, God gives us to work. And on the seventh Mm -hmm. day rest, And so when we look at the book of Hebrews, we see that the children of Israel did not enter into the promised land because they did not enter into God's rest. And in order to rest, you have to trust God that he's going to get it done some way, somehow. However, rest requires trust. But when we don't rest, we're saying, God, I can do it better than you. When you rest, you restore your cells and your hormones and your blood and your veins. And then to take a a time of Sabbath periodically in your ministry to get away, to just be with God, to take vacation, 
to enjoy your family, to enjoy God first, yourself and others. Yeah. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the promotion will be added unto you Mm. and the relationships will be added unto you. Yeah. And the healing will be added unto you. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm really glad I asked that question because when I think of being, when I thought of being purposeful, I kind of thought it meant that somehow we all decluttered our schedules a little bit, you know, and didn't have, that we weren't as accomplishing as many things in ministry or in our work. And that might be part of it. But I think a lot of people, such as yourself, are purposeful about what you're doing and accomplishing a great many things, but have have the start of your day aligned so that everything the rest of the day falls into place. Not that you have perfect days all the time. I don't mean mm-hmm. that, but you understand what I'm no, what I'm saying? By no means, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that is that a correct way to kind of look at that? Yes. And so, you know, like I said, I try to do it every day, but I may not make it every day. So I may catch it at noon. I may catch it at night. Yeah, I'll, I'll catch it sometime. But nine times out of 10 or probably more than nine times out of 10, I'm going to read something or pick up something or read a quote. I love reading through the Bible. Uh, I love uh, I, but I also love slow reading. Mm-hmm. You know what the scripture says, meditate on the word day and night and do according to all that is written therein in Joshua 1, 8. Uh, mm-hmm. And and then God says, I will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So, yes, we want to be prosperous. We want to have good success. But the prerequisite <laughs> is to yes. meditate on the word. <laughs> right, which is kind of hard sometimes. And I want to ask about that because... I think I think it's super important and it's something that I try to do as well. But at least for me, it can turn into something that's a checklist and programmatic. And then if I miss it, then it comes with a little, well, maybe a lot of guilt for not getting it right that day. So how, I mean, what can I do different? Because I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels that way. So what can we, what can we do different? So it's like a, a joy that doesn't come with the guilt. Yes, yes, absolutely. And one of the benefits of of uh, knowing various spiritual disciplines is um, not having a boring spiritual life. Our spiritual oh. life should be joyful. And one of the things that I like to do as it relates to reading the Bible is, uh, for me, it's not a, a checklist. I... Mm-hmm. Um, I learned this from a few ladies several years ago to write notes on each page to someone. And oh. so when I'm reading, I'm not reading to check it off. I'm reading to write a, an impactful note to someone that can be a blessing for them. Like oh. this morning, I read Psalm 142 and 143, as I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a Bible that I dedicate to my granddaughter, my grandson, our granddaughter, our grandson, <laughs> you know, my, 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 that's what we do. My, this uh-huh. my, my uh-huh. Our yes. grandchildren and a, and a Bible that I dedicate to our son in love and our daughter. Mm-hmm. And so I've given our granddaughter her Bible 
and I'm working on our grandsons, but he's only six. So I try to give it to them when I feel like their relationship with God is to a level of maturation. They would appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But I know that they may not always get up and read the Bible every day, <laughs> but they may look at what I wrote on a page, what I dated, what I said uh-huh. about that. And so this morning for uh, and our, I'm working on our daughter's Bible and um, Psalm 142, I said to her, Vernay, which is our daughter's name, God loves your soul. Mm. So after reading Psalm 142, that was my takeaway. God uh-huh. loves your soul. And sometimes I go back and read what I wrote to them and it ministers to me. Uh-huh. So that's one way. Or then maybe another day I may just meditate on a scripture. That's uh, Lectio Divina, which uh-huh. I shared, shared earlier. And let's look at Psalm 143 and verse six. It says, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. And then you may read that several times. And then you may you'll choose a part of that that you want to focus on. My mm-hmm. soul longs for you like a thirsty land. And you think about what a thirsty land looks like. Mm-hmm. It's dry. It's parched. It's hard. It's lonely. And so we, we can picture our soul looking like that or having some similarities of a thirsty land. Mm-hmm. And then we may bring it in even closer and say, my soul longs for you. And then we could pray, God, our souls long for you. You are our heart's desire. Feel us. Feel me. Mm-hmm. Heal me. Deliver me. Restore and refresh me. And then I could come maybe to just one word. You. Mm-hmm. You are my heart's desire. Mm-hmm. You are God. You are King. You are Lord. You are awesome. You're faithful. You are from everlasting to everlasting. And so I pause. I slow down. I meditate. I contemplate. I be. Mm. You be. And that makes your study or your reading. Or you may get up and you may journal. And uh, in the book, I talk about different ways of prayer, Mm -hmm. different ways of prayer. Um, It's in the beginning because people's lifestyle of prayer also becomes stagnant. Yes, yes. And I think I love this because I kind of felt like it all had to be 
one way, but it could be different every morning if we wanted it to. Yes. And, but as we learn the discipline, so when we look at prayer, um, I talk about the prayer of ACTS, A-C-T-S, and uh-huh. that acronym standing for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and uh-huh. Supplication, ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoring God first, confessing, giving God thanks, praying a prayer of supplication. So you may do all one day. You may mm-hmm. just, you may do all for two minutes. You may do all for two hours. <laughs> uh-huh. You may folk, you may just do adoration. You just may do confession. You just may do Thanksgiving and I give scripture. But one that I also love is the prayer wheel that we find on page 50. And it's spending an hour with the Lord and it's designed. There are 12 segments of this wheel. The first one is praise, then waiting, confession, scripture, praying, watching, intercession, and so on. So the goal is to spend five minutes in each section of the prayer. Mm-hmm. But say you only got five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so am I going to pick uh, a couple of these? And am I going to do one of them? I'm going to look at number seven, uh, petition. Uh-huh. Uh, petition. When I, when I seek God for myself, and that's one of the prayers I had to pray when I was plummeting down. My prayer was help me. <laughs> yes. Sometimes that's just the prayer. That's it. Yes. And, 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 and I said to the Lord, I said, God, if you don't help me, I will not be helped. Mm-hmm. That was my prayer. Yes. yes. And then also Definitely. I love the prayer of listening. And that's number 11 on the prayer wheel. So again, the prayer was designed to spend five minutes in each category praying, uh, in five minutes in the 12 of the categories, which will total an hour. But don't box ourselves. And God is creative. He's very creative. And so listening, sometimes I just, I spend a lot of time listening, listening, Heidi. I've uh-huh. spent a lot of years uh, praying out loud. I've spent a lot of years interceding. I've spent a lot of years in warfare. And right mm-hmm. now, I'm in a listening state. I mm-hmm. listen more than I talk. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So we've been talking all around your book. So I want to definitely talk about that a little bit more. Um, your book talks about soul care in the African American in African American practice, which received Christianity Today's Award of Merit in the spiritual formation category. So that's really awesome. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank on that. you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it talks about um spiritual disciplines in the African American culture and the way that it's lived out in the rich heritage of its faith and community. And you talked about um 10 different people in your book so that readers can see and understand the disciplines and traditions of prayer, spiritual direction, and soul care. Um, how did you how did you pick these people and why was now the right time to write this book? Well, I don't have I didn't have anything to do with the timing. <laughs> <laughs> Because it took, this was a journey. When I started writing my thesis in 2009, I had no idea that portions of it would be part of a book. Of course, there was a lot of editing and a lot of things that aren't in the book that uh, was in my thesis. Uh, For example, in my thesis, I write about uh, Pauline's spiritual direction, like spiritual direction from the concept of uh, the mindset of, of the Apostle Paul. And, mm-hmm. um, but, um, 
I prayerfully search and read several sources and books about African-Americans to come to identify these 10 uh, and someone has identified them as saints to identify Mm, these mm -hmm. 10 saints who walked a life that exemplified spiritual disciplines. See, one, one of the purposes of the book is to bring a legacy of people in the African-American community that practice spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. which had, which needed to be identified. Yes, definitely. Uh, because we don't have uh, a Tilden Edwards. We don't have uh, a Foster. We don't have Dallas Willard, you know, <laughs> but we uh-huh. do have Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King and Howard Thurman and, and, and Frederick Douglass and so many others and Dr. Renita Weems and, and Dr. Daryl Griffin. Yes. We, we are, yes. So I felt the call to, to uh, identify who they are and what they do as it relates to spirituality mm-hmm. and what disciplines I sense they practice or if it had to be named like Frederick Douglass identified with practicing the discipline of Lectio Divina, which Frederick would probably never say he did any Lectio Divina. Right. But, but he learned to read from his, he learned to read slowly from his master's wife, Mrs. Auld. Mm-hmm. And so not only was my task, and I really believe this from the bottom of my heart, not only was my task to identify these uh, spiritual giants, but also one of my tasks was to identify an inception of spirituality, in particular, spiritual direction from an African-American perspective. Mm-hmm. We know we can go back to the fourth century. We know we can go back to the desert mothers and the desert fathers, in particular, the desert fathers like our Tertullian and Origen and Augustine. Because these are desert fathers from North Africa. I mean, like, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's much earlier in the centuries, which is not necessarily, they weren't transported to North America. But I would, but we must understand our African history. Yes. In all genres of the faith community. And give credence mm-hmm. and credit to that history and not skim over it. Mm-hmm. But as an African-American, right. you can only have African-American with the combination of African and American. And so <laughs> as African-Americans, when did our spirituality begin? And so I propose that we were a people, I don't propose, I know we were a people of strong spirituality on mm-hmm. the continent of Africa, not only uh, Christianity, but numerous, a plethora of religions. But in order for our formation to emerge, it had to start somewhere. 
And for me, that starting point is the transatlantic, the mm. middle passage, mm-hmm. which brings us to the beginning of the book. And I kind of like how we've backed into this. I've never backed into <laughs> it like this. I usually, because uh, we, we've already been to chapter 10. Now we're coming back to <laughs> the introduction. Yes. And so, um, so I propose that people of African descent formation was in the middle passage. And I would like to read this to you. This is one of my favorite readings on page 14. And for those of you that don't have the book, I encourage you to get it. And I know Heidi will probably highlight that at the end. Oh yes. For those of you you that don't have it, I mean, that do have it there. We have a new workbook. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great workbook. And, uh, that's available on Amazon as well, but the reading on page 14. And I talk about uh, Kellerman and Edwards, uh, Robert Kellerman and Carol Edwards, and how they visualized the transporting of slaves from Africa to America. And they wrote in the book beyond, they wrote in the book beyond the suffering and embracing the legacy of African-American spiritual direction and soul care. And I quote them, even while stowed like animals below deck, they saw the shining North star of God with upturned eyes of faith, looking out spiritual portals. End of quote. Mm -hmm. And I write about, I write at the bottom of page 15, 14 going to 15. While in chains, many slaves expressed great faith in God. The only one who could deliver them from such inhumane circumstances. Many were infected with ferocious diseases, including respiratory ailments and fevers that accompanied infections, moans and groans penetrated the atmosphere as a result of pain, sickness, sorrow, and loss. No doctors were there to prescribe medications or apply appropriate salves. No preachers were there to perform eulogies. No food was there to fill hungry bellies in the midnight hour. During these challenging hours and days on slave ships, many Africana fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, and cousins were attentive toward each other's weary, tired, and wounded souls. Many times their conversations kept them alive. Care, love, and prayerful conversation were the best prescription for the oppressed. Imagine strangers listening to, caring for, and encouraging one another in such conditions. See them holding one another even as they died. All too often, death was inevitable and at times considered a more comforting 
option than life. Those who lived expressed their faith by believing and trusting God that a better day would come. Mm -hmm. It was on those slave ships making the middle passage that we find the origins of African-American spiritual direction and soul care. Mm -hmm. Even though the intent was to destroy black people and to strip them of Mm -hmm. their heritage, God's divine hand prevailed. In the middle of the most inhumane conditions, the Mm -hmm. slaves were strengthened by their spirituality. Mm-hmm. As Johnson mentioned, another author, slaves did not debate the existence of God, but wondered, and I quote, whether God was with them in their struggle, end the quote. And my answer is, mm-hmm. yes, he was. He was there yeah. all the time. And this I identify as the beginning of soul care and spiritual direction from an African-American perspective. As slaves were being transported, millions of them were transported, transported. As slaves were being transported from the coast, the west coast of Africa, through the Atlantic, some dropped off South America, the Caribbean, but mostly the majority on their way to the East Coast of North America. Mm -hmm. Soul care in African-American practice. One of the questions that I wanted to know is, what can can Anglo-Christians learn from the African-American faith tradition? That we serve the same God. That in Christ, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, black or white. That the same God that loves you, loves me. I'm made in the image of God and you're made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And if we remove the layer of skin, we're all the same. We have more in common than we do differently. Um, And in the um, back of the book, I have a section entitled Connecting Prayer, Spiritual Direction, and Soul Care. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of all pull it all together. Mm -hmm. That um, we're really not that different. (laughs) And (laughs) that soul care is good for uh, everybody. Love is good for everybody. Um, I mean, I have yes. a quote here by Dr. Proctor and a quote here by Dr. Uh, Gardner-Taylor. But at the end of it, we're not that different. Um, and then uh, I have a song that I like to sing, and I'll sing that before we close out when oh, you're ready. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I have. Yeah, please do. I have um, two more questions that I want to ask you. So I think we're ready for that. 
Yes, um, the song goes like this, and I think this answers the question. Okay. Good night, I said to my little son. So tired when the day was done. Then he said, as I tucked him in, tell me, Daddy, what color's God's skin? What color is God's skin? What color is God's skin? I said, it's black, brown, yellow. Is it red? Is it white? Every man's the same in the good Lord's sight. He looked at me with the shining eyes. I knew I could tell no lies. He said, Daddy, why do the different races fight? If every man's the same in the good Lord's sight. What color is God's skin? What color is God's skin? I said, it's black, brown, yellow. Is it red? Is it white? Everyone's the same in the good Lord's sight. Everyone's the same in the good Lord's sight. Everyone's the same in the good Lord's sight. Good Lord's mm-hmm. sight. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. If we all just put that into practice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, I have just a couple more questions to wrap this show up. Mm -hmm. Um, If, of course, as you mentioned, um, we'll link to your book, your workbook, and we'll link to your website as well. Is that the best way if people want more information about you or want to contact you for any of the spiritual direction offerings and workshops when we can have them again in person? Is that the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yes, absolutely. Yes. My website is fine. Yes. Uh Okay. And the books are at... the Soul Care book, Soul Care and African American Practice, you can order that for in, from InterVarsity Press. Uh, it's also in numerous other uh, bookstores, uh, but the main source is InterVarsity Press and Amazon, and the workbook is on Amazon. Okay. Yes, we'll definitely link all of that. Um, mm-hmm. I so enjoyed reading the book. I don't think I told you that um, to begin with, but I really, really enjoyed it. I found it very helpful to me. So thank you for writing that. Thank you. Um, and thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. We have one last question um, that okay. we ask everybody who comes on the show. Mm-hmm. Because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary Podcast, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> prayer I could have is, guessed. <laughs> prayer is like, uh, I remember a workshop I taught. Several years ago, uh, I entitled it "I Am Prayer," and prayer is the thing mm-hmm. that First uh, Thessalonians five, according to the Apostle Paul, tells us to do without ceasing. And Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, "If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face." And turn from their wicked ways. God says, then I will hear from heaven. Forgive the sins and heal our land. And our land needs healing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. From the White House to the Poor House. Mm-hmm. I wrote a poem about that when I was 14 years old. The healing of the land from the White House to the Poor House. Because I kind of felt like I was in the Poor House. <laughs> but um, yeah. our land needs healing. And, mm-hmm. the, and, the, and the, the antidote is prayer. But the prerequisite to healing is humility and repentance. Mm-hmm. And until we humble ourselves and repent in the midst of our prayers of adoration and intercession and supplication and petition and listening, the healing mm-hmm. will not come. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for healing. I'm ready for healing too. So, <laughs> yes. So Dr. Peacock, thank you again. This conversation has been an absolute delight and I can't speak for all the listeners, but I can definitely speak for myself that, um, we prayed before we got on the podcast. Our listeners don't know that, but that we prayed that it would, you prayed that it would be a blessing to each other and to the listeners. And I don't know about them because I can't talk to each of them right now, but I do know about me. And this conversation was definitely a blessing to me. So thank you. Thank you, Heidi. And uh, thank Dr. Bevan and thank Asbury Seminary and thank all of the listeners. Uh, I will be happy and delighted to connect with you. And I encourage you to just enjoy the journey. We all know we need to slow down, to come away from the busyness, and to adhere to Psalm 4610 that says, Be still and know that I am God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for leaving us with those words. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have an awesome day. You too. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Peacock. I truly found this conversation to be a gift, and I hope you did as well. Just so grateful for Dr. Peacock, her work, and her ministry, and truly the gift that her book, Soul Care in African American Practice, and her work is to the world. If you haven't already, make sure you grab a copy of the book, the workbook, wherever you love to buy books. It's all linked out in the show notes, as well as the uh, web address for her ministry if you'd like more information. As always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, go do something that helps you thrive.